Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A quick note, this episode contains mention of suicide, Please listen with caution and care. On the night of February 25th, 1998, a mother and her two children were asleep in their home outside of Midland, Texas. While they slept, a fire broke out in the house. Driving home from work, Butch Martin saw the flames from the road as they approached. We get up on the top of this hill and I see a big black cloud of smoke. And I said, man, that looks like my house, man. And then when we got closer, I saw that it was my house. Butch's girlfriend, Marsha Poole, and their two children, Brady and Kristen, died in the fire. And the subsequent investigation led an innocent man to be condemned to prison for life. You know, part of me says I don't care what nobody thinks, but I do care. You know, all I want is the truth to be known, the truth. I am Butch Martin. I've been incarcerated since uh, August of 99. From Lava for Good, this is Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling. Today, Butch Martin. Garland Leon Martin, who goes by Butch, was born in Odessa, Texas on September 15, 1962, to Buddy and Nancy Martin. Butch was one of five children. When he was young, the family moved to nearby Midland, Texas, where he and his siblings were raised. Great. We lived out on a farm out off 1788 and had every top animal you could think of, you know, pigs, goats, sheep. Turkeys, geese, peacocks. It was great. Butch rode horses and motorcycles and loved to drag race. He's the wildest of a bunch, that's for sure. 
This is Butch's little sister, Heather. Everybody loved him. Everybody. I mean, he was very outgoing. He was the type to give his shirt off his back for anybody. He would help anybody in need. And not only that. He's funny. <laughs> He's hilarious. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, he he has his moments and he can be serious, but for the most part, he's pretty funny and he likes to make people laugh. In fact, his offbeat sense of humor is the source of one of Heather's favorite memories of Butch. He was in a motorcycle accident and he broke both of his legs, so he was in a wheelchair for a while. So his thing was, you know, he was going to learn to ride wheelies in his wheelchair well, you know, he's cruising along, showing off, you know, doing his little wheelies and stuff. We ended, he ended up tipping over backwards and he couldn't get up because his legs were broke. And I was laughing at him because he was trying to show off. And then we both started laughing and I couldn't get him up because we're both laughing so hard. He makes, he makes light of every situation. After Butch graduated high school, he took a job in the oil field. He had taken vocational welding classes in school and made a good living as a welder. But then the oil industry lost traction. I took off and a friend of mine had a recovery company that uh, he uh, repossessed vehicles and everything. Everything from canning copiers to baby grand pianos. We repoed everything. Butch was mobile, traveling all over Texas, doing the repossession work, and making good money on it. He says he was living the life. It was during this time that Butch also got married and had a son, Parker Chase. We were only married like three years. I really didn't even want to marry her. I, I told my homeboy at the wedding, you know, we need to just keep driving, <laughs> you know. And he's going, no, it's stupid, you're going back. Needless to say, that marriage didn't work out. Butch continued working, and he would also go out partying. He says he was a ladies' man, and eventually he met the one. So how did you meet Marsha? Well, um, actually, my uh, buddies took me to a derby where, you know, you fight gangcocks, you know, roosters. And uh, there was a little get-together there. After it got dark, you know, and she was sitting on a stool in the kitchen. Marsha Poole was 20 years old. She had just had her son, Brady, who was with her at the gathering. And I saw that she was drinking tequila. Butch asked Marsha for a tequila shot, but instead she handed him her baby son to hold. And Butch was smitten. And I knew right then I was in love with her, man. She was cool, man. Totally cool. After that, Butch and Marsha were inseparable, despite the fact that Butch was 12 years older. It didn't matter to them. They wanted to have a life together, and they did. We did everything together. I took her to a bunch of concerts, and she was like a groovy little hippie chick. We were so great together. Eventually, Butch and Marsha moved in together. Butch was over the moon happy when he found out they were going to have a kid. By that point, Butch was also a father figure to Marsha's son, Brady, whom he adored. And Brady worshipped him, too. Brady would be on the front porch every day waiting on me. 
I want to go with you. I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And if I wasn't paying attention, he would try to climb the fence to get to me, you know. I looked over there one time and he was hanging upside down by his boot. His boot got caught and he's looking at me, but he ain't screaming or nothing. I'm like, what? In June of 1996, Butch and Marsha's daughter, Kristen Ray, was born. And Butch really wanted to make the family official with Marsha. I kept begging her to marry me. She said, no, I'll just ruin things. So we never got married. That was my only love that I've ever been in. I've loved her more than anything or ever, ever will again, ever. On February 25th, 1998, Butch and Marsha were at home when he got a call from his friend Stacy, who had a construction business. He said he knew a guy who wanted a fence put up and asked Butch to come along and help measure for it. And about 20 minutes later, he, I heard the horn honk. He lived right down the street. I said, hey, I'm leaving. I'll be back in a couple hours. She said, oh, I love you. I love you, too. And that, that's, that's when I left. And we went and stopped and bought beer. From there, they drove to the job site. Of course, we left the beer in the truck and everything, but we went in the backyard and, and measured um, where he was putting fences. It was a normal, relaxing evening, Butch out with a friend and Marsha and the kids asleep at home. But as Butch and his friend were headed back to his house, he saw a highway patrol car pass them at top speed, its lights flashing. We get up on the top of this hill and I see a big black cloud of smoke and you can tell that it's like uh, plastic, like uh, tires or something like that. Mainly, you know, it's just so dark. You know, a grass fire isn't dark like that. And I said, man, that looks like my house, man. And then when we got closer, I saw that it was my house. And the house was engulfed in flames. And uh, before we got to the house, I, 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 uh, I bailed. I jumped out of the truck. And I uh, started yelling, oh, Where's Marsha and the kids? And, and, and I ran right up in there and uh, saw the wall of smoke. And I tried to uh, open the front door. I couldn't get the door. I pushed me, pushed me, from the fucking door. Butch couldn't get in the house and he couldn't breathe, but he was desperate to save his family. So I ran back out of the smoke and got some air and I ran right back in. And uh, I couldn't get in the fucking house. Man. Uh, you know, it was fully engulfed anyway. But, you know, uh, I remember the third time I came out, they tackled me and it handcuffed me to it. Bumper up the cop car. Butch was frantic, and the police had handcuffed him to a car to keep him from running into the burning house to save his family. They eventually got him in a car and took him down the street to a friend's house to keep him out of danger. But determined to get to Marsha and the kids, Butch knocked his friend down and took off running, two miles back to his house. And I ran the whole way back. And when I came around the corner, uh, there was people everywhere. My mom and dad were there. Oh, there was people everywhere, man. 
Butch was instantly tackled again by the sheriff, so he wouldn't run into the fire. <laughs> he got on top of me, you know, with his knee in my neck, you know, the typical police hold. <laughs> and um, I couldn't breathe. And my dad came up and he's, he's telling me it's going to be all right. I said, it's not going to be all right. I'll never fucking see her again. This episode is underwritten by AIG, a leading global insurance company. AIG is committed to corporate social responsibility and to making a positive difference in the lives of its employees and in the communities where they work and live. In light of the compelling need for pro bono legal assistance and in recognition of AIG's commitment to criminal and social justice reform, the AIG pro bono program provides free legal services and other support to underrepresented communities and individuals. Butch was taken to a hospital in nearby San Angelo, his hands severely burned. By this point, it was clear. His entire world, 24-year-old Marsha, 3-year-old Brady, and 18-month-old Kristen, had died in the fire. He was the only one in their family left. Deeply depressed, Butch was transferred to a psychiatric hospital while he recovered from his burns. About a week into his stay, the police came to visit him. I had lost everything. Well, they came and took what I had left. I had the clothes I had on. I, I was like, what? And I had washed them. And I'm like, uh, have you watched these? And I said, yeah, what, what is wrong? I, you know. Butch didn't know why the police needed the clothes he had worn that day, but he gave them to the officers anyway. The last of everything Butch owned and loved was gone. Finally, when Butch was well enough, he was taken to the remains of his house to look for anything unusual. Sergeant Terry Lowe from the Sheriff's Department walked him through the wreckage. So we go through all the rooms, and uh, I noticed there's uh, some like fluorescent orange uh, spray paint by Kristen's crib. And I asked him, is that where you Crystal was. That's where her crib was, right there in that corner, right there. I said, is that where you found her body? And he said, yes. Marsha's body had been found lying against the door that Butch had been trying to get into that night. Little Brady was found on the floor nearby. And uh, they say that Brady had got off the couch and went to the love seat to, I guess, probably wake his, wake his mama up. And well, she, 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 she stood up into a thermal layer or something like that and, and uh, sensed her lungs uh, the heat. Imagining how their deaths played out was horrific for Butch. During the initial investigation, pathologist Dr. David Hoblet said they died of smoke inhalation and that they were alive when the fire started. But then, in an unusual turn of events, the state, wanting to argue that this was actually a homicide, had all three bodies exhumed. 
forensic anthropologist Dr. Harold Gil King examined them. Gil King came to a different conclusion than the pathologist had. He said that three-year-old Brady had blunt force injuries to his head and that the injuries were inflicted prior to his death. Further bolstering the state's theory, the fire investigator also said he found evidence of intentionally poured accelerants, suggesting someone started the fire on purpose. Almost two months after the fire, Butch was arrested for arson and the murder of his family. He was indicted on April 15, 1998. Not only was Butch devastated by the charges, but also by the fact that the sheriff who arrested him, Terry Lowe, was someone Butch had known for years. My sister played ball, softball, with his daughter. So everybody knew the sheriff, you know. And, uh, you know, half the, half the town knows me and knows there's no way I would ever. And the other half think I'm so crazy that I might have. Naturally, this put Butch in a dark place. While awaiting trial, he tried to kill himself. I, I took two bottles of Ambien and uh, sleeping pills and uh, Valium roaches. I took several bottles of pills and that's when they found him. I woke up and pumped my stomach. I would rather be there with them dead than right here, right now. Butch went to trial on April 14, 1999. District Attorney Al Shuri was the prosecutor. His theory was that Butch knocked out Marsha and Brady put Kristen in her crib, and then set the fire before leaving with his friend for the evening. He said Butch was angry with Marsha because she was going to leave him. With no life or homeowner's insurance to claim, this would have been Butch's only motive. D.A. Shoree called Marsha's mother to testify in support of this theory. She told the court that Butch and Marsha had a tumultuous relationship. And Butch's friend Stacy, who was with him the night of the fire, also testified that Butch had been acting suspiciously, something Butch had said as the patrol car flew by them that night, along the lines of, I hope they're not going to my house, was brought up and used as evidence of guilt. Cherie said that meant that Butch already knew it was his house. The entire case is proof of how, when you're looking to paint a bullseye around somebody, you can do it. Right. If you think that this guy is guilty, then something like, I hope that fire truck's not going to my house, suddenly takes on a whole new meaning. This is Allison Clayton. I am the deputy director of the Innocence Project of Texas and the adjunct professor of the Innocence Clinic at Texas Tech University School of Law. Allison says that when Cherie called the original pathologist, Dr. David Hoblet, to testify, the pathologist gets on the stand and he says, Yeah, I found swelling in both the brains of Marcia and of Brady. And to me, this swelling indicates blunt force trauma inflicted prior to the time of death. Now, that was out of nowhere for the defense, because that's not what the report said. Remember, in the original report, Dr. Hoblet said that he believed they died from smoke inhalation. But now at trial, he said something totally different. 
But at some point in there, the pathologist changed his mind. He changed his opinion. His testimony changed to match what the anthropologist was going to say. The forensic anthropologist, Dr. Gil King, testified to finding blunt force trauma after the exhumation. The anthropologist says, you know, this is the kind of trauma that you could expect to be inflicted from a closed fist at a full arm swing. I mean, just terrible testimony. And the state's fire experts, Dale Little and John Korn, testified that they believed the fire started in the bedroom from intentionally poured accelerants. This was based on samples from the home that came back positive for two chemicals, Norpar and hydroparaffinated kerosene. These chemicals were believed at the time to only be present in accelerants used for setting fires. They also said they found what they called pore patterns, where the accelerant would have theoretically been. I mean, back in the 90s and early 2000s, fire investigators would go through a crime scene and they would say, hey, it looks like there was something poured on this floor right here, and then everything burned down to the concrete. So they thought that they could go through and recognize these patterns in concrete of burned structures and say, ah, that's where they had poured accelerant. But Butch had hired private attorneys Clifford Hardwick and John Cook, and they put on a rigorous defense. Their fire experts refuted the findings of the prosecution. Forensic scientist Doug Byron said it wasn't surprising that those chemicals were found in the home because they're common ingredients in numerous household products. Their presence does not mean a fire was intentionally set. Carter Roberts, a certified fire investigator, disputed the so-called poor patterns. He maintained that the fire started on the back porch, not in the bedroom, and that a faulty extension cord might have been to blame. They had a deep freeze out on the back porch, and they had plugged in this old-time deep freezer with an indoor extension cord that they had run from the back porch through the back bedroom into the kitchen to plug in above the stove. And that was their theory, is that that's probably what started the fire. Robert said he believed state's expert Dale Little was looking for evidence of arson and disregarded potential fire hazards like the extension cord. Butch's defense team also called witnesses who had been with Butch that night. They said they did not smell any unusual odors like lighter fluid or accelerant on Butch or on his clothes. And finally, they had forensic pathologist and medical examiner Dr. Lloyd White review the autopsies and photographs. Dr. White testified that not only was there no indication of blunt force trauma, but that brain swelling was actually common for deaths associated with fire because of carbon monoxide poisoning. Despite all this, it was not enough to convince a jury of reasonable doubt. But at the end of the day, you have got horrific pictures of burned babies and their mama laying right there at the front door. A terrible case. I mean, just a terrible case. And you've got scientific evidence from a pathologist, from a forensic anthropologist, from arson scientists. And of course, you know, it's very difficult to overcome that. On April 30th, 1999, 36-year-old Butch Martin was convicted of three counts of capital murder. He was sentenced to three concurrent life sentences. The media made my brother to, out to be a monster, basically. 
You know, he's he's done a lot of dumb stuff in his life, but he's not a murderer. It It's definitely one of the hardest things I've ever been through. My brother has missed everything. You know, my, I mean, everything. And it's just, it's not fair. It is not fair. They didn't even give him the opportunity. You know, it's like, it's like they, they wanted him guilty right from the, from the get-go. You know what I mean? And then before I knew it, he was gone. After his conviction, Butch was sent to a men's maximum security prison in Texas to spend the rest of his life. It was a tough place with tough prisoners. Butch remembers a time he got in a bad fight with some guys. One of them made a comment about, oh yeah, yeah, you're the guy that had a little barbecue, right? And I, I, I busted him in the mouth and I didn't know at the time that he was there and his brother missing a bunch of teeth, <laughs> you know. There weren't pools. It's hard for me to talk to him without crying. And the whole time he's going, Heather, stop. Heather, stop. I can't cry. I can't cry. You know, and it's really sad, you know, that he just has to put on this front and be a tough guy all the time, 24-7. I'm just ready for him to be able to be himself again, you know, because that's not him. That is not him at all. He is a good, tender-hearted man. And he deserves to be able to be that man. While in prison, Butch also lost access to his son, Parker Chase. His ex-wife had him sign papers, giving up his parental rights. Uh, You know, I haven't talked to him since he was a little kid. So you don't have a relationship with him? No, I don't, but I get pictures of him all the time. My sister has him on Facebook. Butch has never stopped thinking about the life and family he lost in the fire. He says he has nightmares about it all the time. Every day, every day when I wake up, I go right to running in the house trying to let me get the house, you know. Every day when I wake up, you know. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. 
Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes... I guess identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have a, one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For years, Butch filed appeal after appeal to try to overturn his conviction. As I would say, we play the waiting game. This is Butch's sister, Heather, again. We would wait and wait and wait, and then this would get denied. Or, you know, they wouldn't even, you know, take years just to read something just to shut him down, you know. And it was hard. You know, you get your hopes up just to get basically your feet kicked out from underneath you. Especially, especially for my brother, of course getting his hopes up, thinking he's going to get to come home, and then, you know, something else happens. Eventually, something else did happen. Something Butch had been waiting for. Allison Clayton and the Innocence Project of Texas wound up taking on Butch's case in 2017. Did anything stand out to you about the case? Immediately, the use of arson science in the fire debris analysis and the reliance on poor pattern science. I know from studies that were done in the early 2000s and mid-2000s that our understanding of analyzing fire debris has evolved. First, Allison says that updated fire science affirms what the defense's expert said at trial, that the chemicals found in fire accelerants are also commonly found in homes. They are in carpet. They're in building adhesive. They're in receipt paper. They're in, you know, some clothing will have it on them. They are just everywhere. And also, of course, the poor patterns. And I knew that poor pattern science had been entirely discredited, especially for these big house fires, and that the, anytime you see poor pattern, gigantic red flag. Allison points to the many examples in this case of so-called evidence shape-shifting to fit the state's narrative, including Dr. Hoblet revising his original assessment from death by smoke inhalation to blunt force trauma. If you think that he's guilty, then all of a sudden this fire debris analysis intentionally looking for something, like everything takes a different cast, right? 
Back in 2002, before Allison came on, Butch had another legal team working on his case. They had already brought it to the state fire marshal and a scientific advisory committee for review. Forensic pathologists, uh, fire experts, fire chemists, all these different people, and they look at the evidence in Butch's cases, and these people understand the advancements that have been made by that time. And the fire marshal comes out and writes an opinion saying that you cannot say that this was an intentionally set fire. Um, He says that the cause of the fire is undetermined, which is a big, big deal. So when Allison came on the case, she already had this information to work with. And in May of 2022, she lined up her own experts for a new hearing on the case in front of Judge David G. Rogers. Not only that, new information had come to light about the original pathologist, Dr. Hoblet. He's doing all kinds of stuff that as a doctor, you're not supposed to be doing. He's running a pain pill mill, right? He's just like doing scripts for all kinds of things for people who don't need them. So then the feds come in and the feds arrest him. All of that eventually ended up in him completely losing his license to practice medicine. One of the main witnesses to testify against him was now completely discredited. This was huge for Butch's case. In fact, every piece of evidence the state had used against him had been discredited. Allison says that when all the new evidence was presented, you could feel the shift in the courtroom. When the judge and the prosecutor, I think, really started to realize, oh my goodness, we got an innocent man. Butch's father died while he was in prison, but his mom got to sit in the courtroom and hear all the evidence that will likely get her son out of prison. She died just a month later. In the meantime, Butch waits and thinks about what he'll do with his freedom, if and when it comes. He says he'd like to drag race again and build some rental homes. He's excited to finally bond with his nieces, nephews, and now their kids. And there's a lot of them. Um, let's see. I have three daughters. My oldest daughter has three daughters. And my middle daughter has a son and a daughter. So he has one great-nephew, and four great-nieces. What are you going to do with them when you're out? Uh, I'm going to kidnap them and keep them. (laughs) (laughs) But most of all, Butch just wants justice for the family he lost. I miss him so bad. (laughs) You know, if there is ever a real... I'm going to get to watch Marcia kick the DA's ass. <laughs> She's going to beat his ass. <sighs> she will. <laughs> if you want to help Butch, go to innocencetexas.org and click on Take Action. Next time on Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling, Nancy Smith. They said that you didn't take her daughter to school. You took her daughter to a birthday party where you molested her. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Thanks for listening to Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling. Please support your local innocence organizations and go to the links in our bio to see how you can help. 
I'd like to thank our executive producers, Jason Flom and Kevin Wordis, as well as our senior producer, Annie Chelsea, producer Lila Robinson, and story editor Sonia Paul. The show is edited and mixed by Annie Chelsea, with additional production by Jeff Clyburn and Connor Hall. The music in this production is by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast, and on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, as well as at Lava for Good on all three platforms. You can also follow me on both Instagram and Twitter at Maggie Freeling. Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One. girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.